Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program, where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. Please keep in mind that we may discuss difficult topics and ask that you use your own discretion when listening or you speak with your therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lampert. Today, we're discussing faith and how it may relate to some experiences of eating disorder, illness, and recovery. And I'm thrilled to have Brittany Braswell joining us for this conversation. Today, Brittany is a registered dietitian and nutrition coach who helps women struggling with food and body image issues to reduce their anxiety and disordered eating behaviors so they can confidently restore their health and ditch food rules forever. Her approach helps clients replace negative beliefs with foundational truths to discover their true identity without their eating disorder. Brittany runs a virtual private practice where she works with clients in both individual and group settings to help them achieve lasting freedom from the bondage of their disorders. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Brittany. Absolutely. Thank y'all for having me. You're welcome. Let's um, let's start by by just sort of diving in. Let's explore the ways that faith and eating disorders may overlap or interact. You know, we know that faith is an incredibly personal experience. It can differ from one person to the next, even within the same religion or faith community. And then there isn't, uh, there's not a lot of literature on the link between faith and eating disorders. We do hear clinically and anecdotally, though, about a connection for, for many people between faith and these illnesses. So I'm curious if you can speak to a couple things. What aspects of faith or religion do you think might be protective? factors in the development of eating disorders? And then what aspects do you think might be triggering or exacerbating for those that are susceptible to these illnesses? So I'll let you decide where you want to start, protective factor or risk factor, and let's just dive in with your thoughts about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a great question, and it's one that I probably get asked more often than not from, from clients, but from other practitioners as well. And so one of the things that I really like to remind my clients of, especially, especially if they're kind of feeling like they've got maybe a little bit of a wall or separation from what their normal relationship looks like, you know, within their faith. And so I think one of the biggest things that I've seen is that faith really paves the way for trust. So we talk a lot about trusting your body and trusting your hunger and fullness signals. And so I'll have clients say, well, what's the difference in faith and trust? You know, they're kind of used interchangeably. And so I like to explain it as faith is really having the belief something's true without yet seeing the evidence of that truth. And then trust then becomes faith in action. So I don't know if if y'all or any of the listeners might be familiar with Charles Blondine, but he was a famous tightrope walker um, in the 1800s. And he did this really famous act where he strung, it's like 1100 feet long, a tightrope that went across Niagara Falls. He did this walk with no harness, no safety net. And so he goes across, he goes back, and there's thousands of people watching, and and they see him do all these amazing tricks. I think one of the one of the passes through, he even sits down in the middle and like makes a meal, <laughs> oddly enough. And so so then he he asked the crowd, you know, after showing them that he's capable of all this, who believes I can take this wheelbarrow full of rocks across? And so he piles it, you know, full to the top. The crowd is going nuts, and and he takes this wheelbarrow all the way across, no bobbles, no hesitations, and comes back. So, so they've seen him accomplish this now. They have a foundation for, okay, I have, I have faith that he can do it again. And then he says, okay, now that I have done this, who believes I can take a person across? 
And then, of course, it gets silent. Nobody volunteers. And, y'all, I have faith in a lot of things, but I think that would be really difficult for me to, to put my trust in at that point. And so, so nobody volunteers. And I think that's a good sort of just analogy or, or sort of visual picture of the difference. Like, you believe it can happen because you've seen evidence that, you know, up to this point, this person can follow through. But then trust is really getting in the wheelbarrow and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to take a step. I'm going to take some action and trust that my faith will me through this. And so when it comes to faith, as far as your, your spiritual or your foundational beliefs, I think it's extremely important to be able to develop the kind of trust through the recovery process that may or may not be possible without that. So whether it's learning to trust yourself if you're a Christian or if you worship the Lord, you know, maybe it's developing a deeper level of trust in the Lord and really for those levels of trust to be more than what you trust your eating disorder. Because when the eating disorder is around so long, it can become something easy to trust in because you've seen it. You've seen how it, how it behaves and how it affects you. So developing that level of trust with yourself or with the Lord or, or you know, just within your own faith, I think it's really a major protective factor as far as eating disorder recovery goes. So kind of from the other side, you mentioned what are some things that might be exacerbating or triggering. And as much as I hate to say it, that is something that I come across more often than not with clients, maybe who have had a trauma related experience or just a bad, bad experience, either in their church or in their family, maybe their, their family or friends have pushed religion or faith on them. And it's created, you know, an unhealthy relationship there. And so one of the things I get asked a lot is, well, what about fasting? Fasting is something my church does, or I've had several clients of the Catholic faith that say, you know, well, we do Lent and why can't I just give up, you know, X, Y, and Z foods during that time? And one of the things that I really like to explore with my clients is, okay, well, tell me what your purpose is for fasting. Because if we go back and look at the initial kind of purpose or design or intent that fasting was serving, you know, in, in scripture or whatever, whatever means you're using it for, it's to eliminate distractions in order to draw near to your faith or to whoever, whoever you're serving within your faith. And so there are a lot of ways that I think you can absolutely fast, but, and I I think food fast is appropriate in, in its own time and place, but in the recovery process, I think it's nearly impossible to do a, a spiritual fast in a healthy way because of that disordered relationship. So one of the things I really like to encourage my clients on when it comes to fasting is to do what's called a soul fast. Within the eating disorder, we know, we know it's not about food. And so why make the fast about food? Let's make the fast about the mental struggle, right? It's mental, emotional. Your soul is your, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so if you do a soul fast, it might look like giving something up that is occupying a lot of your mental energy or a lot of your time or a lot of your focus. So it could be social media, it could be certain movies, I'm going to say it, it could be Netflix. (laughs) Okay, so it could be a lot of different things that are just taking up a lot of your focus and replacing that time that you spend on it with time spent growing and developing your own faith. So I think that is a major, it could be a potential triggering factor, but you can turn it into something that's going to grow your faith and not be detrimental to it, if that makes sense. No, I think that you highlight something that I think is a great example of if the purpose of fasting in the religious tradition is to draw nearer to something in eating disorder, 
fasting or eating disorder fueled behavior, that's not the same purpose, right? People are not getting drawn nearer to anything other than the eating disorder or to this, you know, sort of zoned out emotionless space that's consuming with the eating sort of thoughts and behaviors versus something that's allowing more space in them for growth and development. So I think that's an excellent point that you're highlighting that what's the, what's the goal? What are you doing it for? And how is the eating disorder possibly taking advantage of that? That makes a lot of sense. Right. So, so it, again, it serves, I think even a, a stronger purpose and it gives you a more effective fast than skipping a meal or cutting out a specific type of food because you are, you're serving multiple purposes. You're, you're drawing near, hopefully in your faith, but again, choosing something that takes up a lot of time, but you're also not feeding the eating disorder. Yeah, right. I can see that. How do you think eating disorders can distance people from their faith, from their spirituality? I've worked with clients that they really struggle with this, that they can sometimes present with that as part of why they're presenting for care, that they're realizing that this eating disorder is getting in the way of so many things. And one of the things they're getting, it's getting in the way of is, is their faith or their spiritual practice. What, what have you seen? How, how would you speak to that? Yeah, I think, I think that's something, again, that happens fairly frequently. I think it's a really good question because I do, I have several clients, especially when I was in a, a higher level of care setting, when I was in the residential and PHP setting, that was something I came across a lot. And I had a lot of, most all of my clients knew that they were welcome to talk about their faith with me if they wanted to, you know, in session. And so they would say, like, I just feel like something is keeping me from being able to to strengthen my relationship, you know, within my faith. And so I give my clients a lot of analogies. So why not today? If if anybody still uses a checkbook and uses, there's a little thing in the back called a register. Everybody does this online now. It makes me feel old that like my first checkbook and however many I wrote all my stuff down. So you're not familiar. A register is that little table you write down, like the date you spent something, where, where you made your purchase and how much it is. And you use that to balance your checkbook to make sure you don't overspend. And so one of my mentors a long while back said, you know, you show me your register and I'll show you what you value because the way that you spend your money and not even just money, but the way you spend your time or your energy or your focus really is typically on the things that you value most, even if maybe you don't realize it all the time. Like maybe, maybe it's subconsciously you go, oh my gosh, well, I spent, you know, half my budget this month on entertainment, right? And you're wondering, well, how am I going to pay my bills next month? Maybe I should value my priorities, probably or my necessities before the once. Not to say that people struggling their eating disorder don't value their relationship, but when the eating disorder voice or thoughts kind of take over, and that's what's really driving the thought process. It becomes a whole lot harder to know and to recognize what you value and what what you believe to be true. And so we talk a lot um, with my clients about core beliefs, like what at your foundation do you believe to be true, whether it's healthy or disordered, and we kind of work through that. And so I think one of the things that, that prevents people a lot of time from, from hearing truth or from feeling that connection to their faith I think there's three things that stick out a lot and that I see a lot. And I think the first one is pride. And I think this is one of the hardest ones to see because if somebody says, oh, you have a lot of pride, we're like, uh-uh, no, I don't, which might be a little red flag in and of itself. But if you think about pride in the sense of just, of having that feeling of, I want to handle things on my own. I don't need your help. I'm perfectly capable. There's a big difference in having confidence and knowing your capabilities, but being 
prideful. And so I think when that pride gets in the way, it becomes a lot harder to have that level of humility that you really need in order to submit the things that you're struggling with and to ask for help and to, to get some outside perspective. Mm-hmm. One of the things I try to validate with my clients from a lot is that you're in treatment. You like, that's part of the hardest part. Like you ask for help and asking for help doesn't mean you're a failure that you couldn't do it on your own. It means you recognized you have some wisdom that you need some outside perspective. And so kind of looking at that, that difference there. So I think pride is one of those, those first things that kind of keeps people distant. Fear is another huge one. So if somebody is afraid about what they're going to hear from God or from, from their higher power, spiritual leader within their faith, they're afraid they're going to feel shame or guilt because of something that's happened to them or something that they've experienced, you know, that can keep people from going, well, I don't, I don't know if I fully want to draw close to God because what if I just have this sense of shame, which that's a whole other thing. I'd probably talk on that the whole episode, <laughs> but, but that just to say, when you're able to kind of pull some of that fear down and open up to your, your faith or spiritual practices, that's something that can really help kind of close that gap between feeling distant. And then I think the other thing that I see a lot is bitterness or holding a grudge or unforgiveness that kind of all sort of wrap up into one. And again, I'll kind of give you an analogy because when I tell clients, like when I, when I ask them, do you feel like you're holding a grudge or unforgiveness? It seems like such an abstract concept to them because it's like, well, I don't really know what forgiveness is. Or if I forgive, then that just means like I'm saying it's okay or it didn't matter. And that's certainly not the case, especially when you're, when you're going at it from a faith standpoint. And so the analogy I give my clients oftentimes is holding a grudge or holding on to that unforgiveness. It's like setting yourself on fire and hoping the person that you haven't forgiven yet is going to die of smoke inhalation. Like you're doing so much more harm to yourself by holding that burden and saying, you know, if I don't let it go, nobody else is going to hold this over them or nobody else is going to, they're not going to have any kind of fallback because of it or any consequence. And so if you can forgive that person, not to say that what they did was okay or what happened to you because of them is okay, but just to say, I'm no longer going to be the one responsible for holding it over them. It just lifts this burden. I just, I can see a client's entire countenance change in session when they go, oh, okay, I can, I can do that. I don't have to hold on to this forever. And that really helps to close that gap between feeling distant from the Lord or from whatever your, your faith practices are. So that's, I think that's one of the, one of the biggest things that I see. And, and I like to give my clients those three points, that pride, fear, and bitterness, because I don't know about y'all, but most of my clients are like, I need a solution for something. Like I came to y'all because I don't, I don't have a solution. And it's not always about finding one, but I think giving some direction in this area can really help people kind of on their own decide, like kind of do a self-check and say, do I feel like maybe I'm struggling with one of these three areas? helping them sort of find their own way back to feel close in their faith. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, that when, when you, and I love your analogies, I use a lot of analogies too. So I love, I love a good, a good analogy for anything. When I think about the, you know, pride, fear, and bitterness as concepts and experiences that you're right, most people are not super eager to, you know, run out and sign up for. So when they're able to see that maybe they are carrying the burdens of a f- one or more of those, that does seem like it could be very impactful. How do you, how do you, um, how have you seen or worked with people or imagine people can 
can kind of, you know, move from there to clarify or, or, you know, clarify, identify, reconnect with their values and or their, their faith, however those are woven together for them during the process of recovery. So they can move maybe from over here to sort of further along and really utilize that value-based system to help propel themselves forward in recovery. Yeah. So this is one, this is a topic I probably talk to clients on a little bit further along in the process of their recovery where they're really able to identify what are the disorder thoughts that I'm having and what are the ones that are mine. And so one of the things that I work on with them or that I'll tell them is like, okay, you have to turn down the volume on the world or on the eating disorder and you have to crank up the volume on your intentionality. And so, so again, kind of like to sort of give a, a word picture since I know listeners can't see me, I talk with my hands a lot. So I know y'all can't see that. If, if you think about it from a word picture standpoint or, or a, a visual standpoint, if you think about like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go into a room and there's going to be 15 or 20 people there and they have little tickets or vouchers for you know, these huge prizes. And I can, I can only go in and I can pick one. Right. And somebody has told all the people in there, like, however many people take yours, like there's a, there's a prize for whoever gets somebody to take your ticket the most often. Right. When you go in that room, let's even take it a step further. If you are like, blindfolded or you've got your eyes closed right you can't see if it is you can only hear them then they're going to be essentially shouting at you they want you to choose their option right they want to give you the best argument they're going to keep getting louder to try to yell or talk over whoever they're standing next to that they feel like might have a, a better sales pitch right that's just like the eating disorder and so the eating disorder is going to try to drown out everything else that's going on and try to get you to focus on not what your actual thoughts are, but hey, listen to me. And so in order to turn the volume down on that, you really have to get intentional and be listening for the voices that you do recognize or the, the voices that you want to grow stronger. So slowly figuring out, okay, what are my own thoughts? Or from the faith-based standpoint, okay, how am I leaning into God's voice? Or how am I leaning into my particular faith practice, right? And so what's really frustrating for a lot of clients is especially early on in this process, you put yourself back in that room with all these people trying to get you to take their little ticket. You've got your, you know, God or whoever your maybe spiritual leader is. And it's more like they're sitting in a chair calmly saying, Hey, I have this gift for you. I have, I have freedom and it's worth so much more than all of these other people, but they're never going to yell it at you. They're going to calmly and respectfully be sitting in that chair waiting for you to make your way around to them. I think the reason so many people have, negative experiences a lot of time with faith is not that it's just been pushed on them, but it's just this, like, this is the only way, like you have to do this or else this, you know, and for my personal experience, the Lord is like a gentleman, right? He's not ever going to push himself on you. The concept from faith is really the ask, seek, not sort of principle. Like if you want it, it's here. I'm ready to give it to you, but you have to kind of open your hands and want it and be willing to receive it. It's not going to be forced on you. And so so I think being able to, to reconnect to those values or to your faith is really about, again, turning down the eating disorder volume and getting really intentional about identifying and listening for those healthy voices. So your own voice, being able to recognize that maybe information your treatment team is getting or your healthy support system, that what they're saying to you isn't, hey, I'm trying to fix you or I'm trying to you know change what you're doing or what you're doing is wrong. but there's some perspective that you haven't seen. We want to help you. And so getting really in tune with that 
I think is a, a fantastic way to start really reconnecting back to those values and to whatever your faith practices might be. Yeah, I, I sort of paints a picture in my mind about how do you, you know, when you're further down the road in recovery, you can walk into that room with all that noise and all that shouting and it actually, you can hear some of the other pieces and the loud, noisy, clamorous sort of, you know, fray gets a little quieter. Right. And then you're really able to hear a little bit more of the other side. How about listening to our bodies, right? We do a lot of that. I know you work in with intuitive eating quite frequently and and, and with intuitive eating as dietitians, we often talk about, you know, what is your body telling you? What is, how are your body sensations? Uh, how can listening to your body as recovery progresses when, when you're able to start hearing it again, be augmented by that faith perspective? Again, it, I think it has to follow sort of what we just talked about, about you've got to be aware of what that healthy voice or those healthy thoughts are, because your, your eating disorder is going to try to make you think your body is telling you one thing. When your body, your body's chemicals can't lie to you. When, when you're hungry, it's not just going to say, oh, hey, you think you're hungry, but you're really not. I was just a joke. Um, so we, we change like our, our thought processes and our brain pathways change based on the decisions we make. Right. So like if our brain is used to one plus two equals three and all of a sudden we're acting like one plus two equals four or five, then eventually their brain is going to say, okay, well, let's just do that because something was wrong. It doesn't mean your body's going to change the way it's going to use what you give it, right? I could give you two sources of foods that are both made up of carbohydrate, protein, and fat. One of them might look like a safe food and one of them might look like a fear food, but only your, your eyes see that. You know, the message translates to your brain, but if you were to do the same thing with the tube feed, like your stomach and your GI tract only know it's carbohydrate, protein, and fat. So the body has no fear. It's all in the brain. And so I think in order to kind of get past that and to defeat some of those fear food sort of thoughts and help you get more in tune with your body again, you've got to be on the process of walking through the, through healing with the eating disorder. And, and I think to experience healing, you've really got to have, you've got to experience freedom first. And so I think sometimes we need freedom in a lot of areas, not just food freedom when it, when it comes to challenging those fear foods or moving away from categorizing food as good or bad. And so when you kind of go to battle, in a sense, with an eating disorder, you want to be armed with every potential weapon in your arsenal because the eating disorder is tricky. The eating disorder voice is, you know, the ultimate enemy. And so you want to be equipped for whatever tricks are going to come at you, right? You want to be fully equipped for that battle. Or for someone who is intentionally seeking to, to grow or to walk in their faith, then they're going to have weapons available to them that they might not have had otherwise. So as you were getting more in tune with your body, hopefully in the same process, you're getting again, more in tune with your thoughts and which ones are healthy, and which ones are disordered. And so that allows you to develop unshakable worth. When you know, especially from the, if you have a firm faith foundation with whatever it might be, and you know where your worth and your value comes from, then you don't place it on, your body. And so when your worth isn't placed on your body, you can act on those internal signals without fear that, oh gosh, I'm going to change something that now makes me less valuable. I think it also helps you to know that you have an unchanging identity. If you know where your identity comes from and that your identity isn't tied to your eating disorder, that's one thing. I, I hate the term. Maybe this makes me a little out of a dietitian for eating disorders. I hate when somebody says I'm anorexic or I'm bulimic because it's such an identity 
label. I tell my clients, I'm never going to say that to you. You can say in conversation, hey, I struggle with anorexia related behaviors or I struggle with restricting. And so once you know your worth and your value, place your identity in that, that thing that's unshakable. And then hopefully also through this process and having those faith equipped weapons to, you know, in your arsenal, then you get to the place where you have unequivocal purpose, where, you know, eating disorder or no eating disorder, there are plans for my life, you know, and I have a a purpose. Everybody listening has a purpose to fulfill on this planet. There's not one person that just got here. This is my personal belief that got here by accident or that just happened to show up for no reason. And, you know, if you weren't here, something would be missing. You know, there's a, there's a purpose for your, for your presence. I think as you, again, listen to those, those body cues that those, the, the mind, the intuition with your mind comes along with it. And so kind of to go along for those, for those who use scripture, right. Who follow the, the Christian faith or who use scripture as a means of encouragement and support or truth. There's verse upon verse that combats the lies of diet culture. And so even for me, even just knowing that helps, helps me to know and helps me to be able to tell my clients, like diet culture is a lie. Like we already know it is, but that just even affirms it more. And so this is an area I'm really passionate about. I'll, I'll, I'll give y'all the information for it at the end, but I actually have on my website, a free ebook called Faith Over Fear. It, it kind of walks through the 10 intuitive eating principles, shows how does this align with scripture? How does scripture, you know, back up that these are the things we were designed and created for anyway. And so looking a lot at how one of the intuitive eating principles is, is talking about satisfaction. Satisfaction was designed to be a gift, right? Probably wouldn't, if, if we weren't meant to enjoy food, there'd be no need to have taste buds, right? We could just chew and swallow and that would be it. It would be no fun, but we could live, right? Same thing with coping. Oftentimes I'll get clients who just say like, well, I'm just an emotional eater or like maybe it's their only source of joy or comfort during the day. And we know with through intuitive eating and, and through, through scripture, if that's something that you use, that there are ways to cope and ways to express emotions outside of food. So I love the way that they just align. And I think the more that you grow in both areas, physically and mentally, and really have your, I think your maturity changes throughout the process too. Like as, as you grow to learn more about yourself, you grow in your maturity with how you interact with the eating disorder too. And it gives you a little more backbone to, to talk, to talk to the eating disorder and kind of put it down to make its voice quieter. So I think that's a fantastic question. And and I love, I love how much in alignment those components can be. Yeah. Thank you. It does make me think sort of a, um, as you were talking, I was thinking about how eating disorders so frequently narrow people's worlds, right. To, to things that, that seem like they matter so much, like the, the eating disorder thoughts that tell us about food or ourselves or our bodies or our weight or whatever it is seem like it matters just so much. And I get it. Like, I, I you know, I, I remember that in the, in the throes of the eating disorder, it just seems like the most important thing. And then being able to kind of swim up to the surface above that to see like the really value-based things you could attach to that are above that surface that really are going to be more meaningful and more propelling and more fulfilling than all that sort of eating disorder messaging under, underneath the surface that just seems so compelling. And, it, and it's, you know, there's plenty of brain science emerging to help us to understand why our brains get so attached to that 
thinking about if I eat this, then this will happen. Or if I don't eat this, then that will happen. And sort of keeping our brains safe and comfortable and trying to manage alarm. So it it, it kind of brings for me a, a number of the pieces you were saying together. What suggestions do you have for providers? There are a lot of providers who work with people from a faith-based perspective, and there are a lot of providers that don't, right? How can providers help keep client belief systems in mind? And at the same time, how can clients help providers to understand their particular spiritual religious beliefs and sort of bring that into that work with the provider, even if those two people don't share the same spirituality, which can work just fine in many cases. But what advice do you have for both providers and clients in that situation? I love this question because I love to talk with providers and clients about this. I think it's such a unique question because it's totally doable to have a provider and client that have different beliefs. I have done it numbers of times. I have had clients from every kind of faith background, gender background, whatever you name it. And I believe there's significant progress that can be made regardless of if it's if it's the same or not. That being said, from, from a provider standpoint, I think it's really helpful to, to ask clients pretty early on, like, if you do a, a discovery call, you know, if you're an outpatient practitioner or if you're doing initial like intake paperwork to have a question where you're not screening clients, but trying to find out from them, like, is your faith or your spiritual belief an integral part of your recovery process? Do you want it to be not? Hey, do you, you know, do you subscribe to X, Y, and Z faith or religion, but is it important to you? And if so, tell me a little bit about what you believe and how it affects your foundational core beliefs. And so I think in order to be a really great clinician or provider, you have to seek to treat the person as a whole. Their faith is part of it, but you're not treating the eating disorder. You're treating the person who struggles with the eating disorder behaviors. And so to me, I think that encompasses mind, body, and spirit. You know, a person isn't just a body. They have a mind, they have a will, you know, they have emotions, and then they also have a, a spiritual part of them, you know, that I believe. And so I think to to be the most effective and to help your client grow the most, you have to address all three of those components. And I think that really helps your clients to know that you care about them beyond the point of their diagnosis, because clients aren't really going to care so much what you know, unless they know that you care about them and their well-being. And so I think it it helps you develop rapport, but but more than that, it helps them be able to to open up more and make more progress with you if they know that you value or you are going to address in session what their values are and their core beliefs, not just what they are, but how are they affecting your disorder or how are they affecting your recovery process? Or is there a part of it that's holding you back from recovery? Is there a practice maybe that we're trying to teach and you have a hang up on because of a negative experience? And so I think from a provider standpoint, those are all really important things to address early on and that you can carry throughout the, the treatment process. And then, from a client or a potential client standpoint, I would encourage you, if you're struggling with, with eating disorder and you're not sure maybe how much your faith or lack thereof plays into your recovery process, speak up from the get-go because we know not every provider is going to hear this and not every provider is maybe as well-versed in spirituality and faith and how it integrates in the recovery process. And so it is going to be your responsibility to, to make your beliefs known you know, up front. Don't don't wait until you're asked. You don't have to have an entire session if that's uncomfortable for you, but you can at least tell your provider, hey, this is this is the, the gist of my faith practices, and I do want it 
you know, integrated into my recovery process. Or, or if you're on the opposite end, if you don't want it, then letting your provider know upfront, I don't want this to be part of it. And here's why. And I include the here's why part because it's okay if you don't want to talk about it. But I think it's also important to know why you're adamant about not talking about it because there may be something there that's also affecting the recovery process. So I think it's good from the client standpoint to talk about that early. I hate that eating disorder treatment is not always widely available for everybody or at least at every level of care. But if you have the opportunity to sort of screen your provider or if you're looking at a couple of different treatment centers to know does the treatment center have a specific approach to this or does the provider, is the provider very close to talking about it or are they open and willing to discuss it? And so if you can do that to see if, you know, they're going to be a good fit for you. I have discovery calls with my clients because they may call and I may say, oh, I can definitely help them with this. But if they feel like we're not a good fit, we don't need to work together because they're not going to get as much out of it. And so it's the same process from a client perspective, whether it's a treatment center or an individual provider screen that process, you know, if you can, to make sure that you feel like you're getting a good fit. And then you just, you, you want to talk with your providers about, about what you believe and how, again, how, how what you believe is impacting your recovery process. Because I, I can hand you 15 different people that say, I'm Christian, or I'm Catholic, or I'm Mormon, or I'm atheist, and they might all still have very different beliefs. So putting, again, a label or a name on it, does it, identify your specific thoughts or struggles or relationship within your faith. So I think that's an important conversation to have pretty early on because it can have a, it has the potential to have a huge impact on your recovery process. Yeah, absolutely. It it feels like a number of, I had a number of thoughts when you're going through that, that, you know, we all come with resources to to this work that we do with clients and, and as providers and as clients. But it's important to know what things are meaningful to you, right? What's, you know, what I might have as a resource is might be different than what you have as a resource or or an interest or something that's meaningful to me. But as uh, both clients and providers, it's it works well when we can really dig in and share those things, even if they're, they're they don't they aren't the same for every person, right? They're very different across people because people are different. So it is a I, I really appreciate your your encouragement to sort of put that out there. First, like here are the things that I have that, you know, I feel like this and this and this might be helpful. This and this and this might not be helpful. And for providers to ask questions about what have you found helpful before? Is there something in your life that you've overcome before that you've worked through before? And and what have you found to be tools in that in that process? And oftentimes faith comes up as one of those things or this very specific spiritual practice or a specific person or a specific set of beliefs or a specific set of writings or whatever it is for each individual person can be can be really powerful. And, and as a clinician who's worked with a lot of people over the years too, it's helpful to be able to refer people back to the things that are meaningful to them, right? Yes, absolutely. I feel like as a as a clinician, when you get to be sort of the you have the honor of sort of holding those things for people to be able to remind them of later is really a gift that clients give providers and and hopefully providers can give back the gift of well, remember when we were talking about this thing before and you said it was important, can I remind you of that now? And how might you be able to work with that right now in this, in this tough spot? Yes. Uh, I love that too. When, um, when clients would share those things with me, because in the treatment center where I was previously, we had a graduation where clients had finished programming, you know, at the end, and we'd always kind of give them a word of encouragement, like one word and then explain why we chose it. And so for several of them, there were things that they had told me you know, maybe about, about their faith specifically that I could say, Hey, do you remember when you told me 
why this was important to you. And, and this is how I've seen you, you know, grow in that. And it was always so much fun for me to see all the different areas of growth for them throughout the treatment process. And so I love that. I love being able to go back and remind them, like he said, of, hey, do you see how this has impacted you? Hey, I've seen how you've grown in this area too. So I think that's really awesome. Absolutely. And I just want to echo something you said earlier too, just because I, I so strongly agree with you that when we label people by their illness, it really narrows them down to just that one thing that, that I fully agree that somebody can struggle with an eating disorder, have an eating disorder, but they aren't their eating disorder labeling people by their illness doesn't help really anybody. Um, and it provides a, a sense of hope, I think, to, to help people see it's, it's, it's a difficult thing that's happening. Certainly eating disorders are fierce, pesky, persistent illnesses, and people can get better. And you don't have to be that eating disorder uh, now or for, you know, for long term. So I love that concept of not naming people by their illness. Brittany, this has been so fun to talk to you and so insightful as we as we think about these concepts. Um, where can people find you if they want to get more information about you or to to contact you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, probably the easiest way is on my website. Um, that's at brittanybraswellrd.com. And you can go there to see services, just connect with me, download the free ebook. I hang around on social media, although maybe not as much as I probably should, but on Instagram or Facebook at Brittany Browserall RD. And if you enjoy Facebook, I actually run a free Facebook group just to give kind of some support and a safe place for people to, to connect and kind of develop some community. So that's called Faith Forward Food Freedom, all the alliteration, all the Fs. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hanging out there a good bit and uh, I'll be actually launching a new a group program. I have a small support group right now, but I'll be launching a group program in the new year. So if anyone is interested in connecting again with other people, it'll be a, a faith-based eating disorder recovery group. So that'll be available as well. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Brittany. We really appreciate you spending some time with us. Yes. Thank you all so much for having me. I've enjoyed it and honored to be here. Absolutely. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to learn more about the EMILY program and what we do, visit emilyprogram.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at EMILY program. Piecemeal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Thanks for listening.